There isn't it. Amen. All right, now I'm on. That's a good, uh, good uh, Happy Birthday America song. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, as we dive right back in where we left off a couple of weeks ago. In verse number 27 is where we pick up tonight. Proverbs in chapter 14 and verse number 27. Proverbs 14 and verse number 27. Boy, I'm glad to be saved tonight. I'm glad to be in the family of God. And I'm glad that when I go to the grocery store, I come out with groceries. Amen? I come out with food. Amen? come out with food. A bunch of people come out of the grocery store of late with not much food. The cart's full, but not much food in it. And, um, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Proverbs 14, verse number 27. Let's pray and we'll jump right into our study. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for the Bible, for the truths of the Bible. Help us, Lord, never be ashamed of the Bible. And never be ashamed to be Bible-believing and and Bible-practicing Christians. And uh, no matter what the world does. And so give us boldness to live for you, I pray. Give us a a little sobriety tonight and sober warnings here in these... uh, handful of verses we'll cover tonight and uh, I need your help I need your wisdom and I need your power Lord please help me to help your people in Jesus name amen Proverbs 14 verse 27 the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death the fear of the Lord is a fountain a fountain of life I like the I like the uh uh, the lingo there. I like the way he describes that. A fountain is uh, is just it just keeps on giving. It just keeps on pouring out. Uh, it, it just keeps on supplying. So this fountain of life, the fear of the Lord, is a, a fountain of life, a life producing fountain. And the way that it does that is that it causes us to depart from. The snares of death. The snares of trap, right? Uh, anybody do any trapping? Some of you guys do small animal trapping or anything like that? Anybody got any bear traps or anything? All right. no, Okay. All right. So a little bit of that goes on. And uh, you get caught in a snare. It's not a good end for you, right? Well, the Bible talks about, obviously, this, this, the devil's snares. And he says, a, a God-fearing life, the fear of the Lord is a fountain. It's an ever-flowing fountain. It produces life. And the way that it does that is it keeps you from the snares that bring you to death, that cause death. So here's a, here's a little phrase for you. Here's a uh, sentence for you. Healthy fear equals healthy living. <laughs> healthy fear equals healthy living. And, um, and, of course, that healthy fear is the fear of the Lord. Young people, listen, if you fear God, you, if, if the fear, a fear of God, again, is, is aware of God. We talked about it on Sunday. We're aware of God. We're sensitive to His presence and His power and His wishes and His desires and His mandates and His commands and the things He forbids. We don't live like we ignore God, like God's not there. He is there. Amen? He is there. And a God-fearing person is aware of that at every turn. In every thought, every action, every decision, he's aware of God. Now, if you are aware of God, if you fear God, then may I say, you're not going to get anywhere near impropriety. You're not going to get anywhere near indecency. Uh, And by the way, impropriety and indecency lead to immorality. That's a (laughs) no-brainer. And so you, you, if you fear God, listen, we ought to be aware of God throughout, from, from the moment we get up in the morning. When we get dressed, we ought to, be, we ought to fear God. Amen? What I think. <laughs> and, and throughout our day, our actions, our, our decorum, our, de, our demeanor. If you fear God, <clears throat> you won't get any, anywhere close to liquor. Not even close to it. People come out of the grocery store. They got a loaf of bread, a thing of ham. And five cases of, of liquor and beer and booze. But if you fear God, you're not going to get anywhere near dope, nowhere near illicit behavior. All of these things are the snares of death. 
All of these things are the snares of death. Now, young people, listen to me. Let me, let me say this. I know it's a little sense for the children in here, but let me tell you, just live pure. Live pure. Save yourself till you get married, and you don't have to worry about what so many other people in this world worry about. Diseases, you want to take medicine all the time, buy a bunch of creams and medicines. You won't have to do any of that. Amen? Amen. Just live clean. Live clean. Keep yourself, save yourself. And when the time comes, you get married and give your to do it in the right order. Amen. Fall in love, get married, have babies. That's the right order. That's God's order. Amen. And how much grief and heartache has come by this free for all society says it feels good to do it, whatever. And uh, and that's just godlessness. It's godless, and it brings death, and it brings destruction. Um, uh, there's snares of death. It is an undeniable fact that consuming alcohol has been the ruin of millions of people. Wives beat up, black and blue. Children without food. Marriages busted apart. Death, destruction, despair. The, the liquor bottle is a fountain of death. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The liquor bottle is a fountain of death. The Bible said, a fear of man bringeth a, a snare. Proverbs 10, 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Those, are, those verses go together. You fear God, you're going to live longer. You live like a heathen, you, your days are going to be shortened. Matthew 10 says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are, not able, but are not able to kill the soul. In other words, don't fear men, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Amen. A fear of God is a healthy fear. Why did anybody, nearly anyone, nearly, with very few exceptions, why did anyone ever pick up the first cigarette? Why did anyone ever take the first swig or shoot up for the first time? Because it's cool, man. We're cool. I want to be cool, too. Now, I understand there's exceptions to that. Somebody went off by themselves out of curiosity, tried their first whatever. But most of the time, we want to be like everybody else. No, I ain't no chicken, man. I'm going to be cool. Yeah. Do you know what? A drunken sod is not cool. It's not. Luke 18 talks about a man who said, I fear not God nor regard man. Now that's a, a sure recipe for a shortened life. <laughs> I don't fear God and I don't, I, I don't regard man. Daniel was probably in his early 20s when he said, I will not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. He's just a young man. Just a young man in his early 20s. Daniel would go on to live through multiple, uh, at least a half dozen kings, if uh, at least, and um, attempts on his life. He'd, he'd served three different world empires into at least age 90. And I think that fear of God. He said, I fear God too much to drink the king's liquor. Mm-mm, I can't do that. Daniel. Daniel, don't you know everybody's doing that? He said, no, I fear God too much to drink the king's liquor. I ain't going to do it. Not going to do it. But Daniel, Daniel, the king's going to be mad. I fear God too much to drink the king's liquor. 25,000 Americans die each year in alcohol-related accidents. That's 70 every day. I've been on the CDC website. And they're, they're, uh, the stats I was looking at on the CDC website go all the way back to 2010, 2015. You can imagine how much worse it is now. This goes back to 2010, 2015. Police estimates uh, estimate that on a week, weekend night, one out of ten drivers is drunk. Would you collaborate, corroborate that, Billy? Okay. Alcohol kills more teenagers than all other drugs combined. It is a factor in the three leading causes of death among 15 to 24-year-olds, which is accidents, homicides, and suicides. Youth who drink are seven and a half times more likely to use other illegal drugs and 50 times more likely to use cocaine than young people who never drink. And again, these are, these are not like this year 
uh, statistics, but 83% of all fire fatalities are alcohol-related. 68% of all drowning fatalities is alcohol-related. 40% of all industrial accidents are alcohol-related. 86% of all murders are alcohol-related. 65% of all child abuse cases are alcohol-related. When Germany lined up the, the, the uh, I can't pronounce the word, the line between France and Germany, they sat there eight months. The Germans had strict, enforced strict behavioral guidelines for their soldiers. No alcohol. No fooling around, and they they uh, enforced it. The French live like Frenchmen. At one point, <clears throat> at one point, they had eight hundred and fourteen men now from the front line up there. This eight months stalemate. Eight hundred fourteen of them in the army hospital. With delirium trimmings. They were drunkards. They're total drunks. And then suddenly came the German Blitz and they absolutely overran the Germans. Marshal Henry Felipe Pitan, that's my best French accent I've got, who was the hero of World War I. The nation was shocked after eight months of a stalemate. How they just rolled right over the Frenchmen. And that famous World War I hero got on the radio to address the nation and explain the sudden fall of France. And here's what he said in that radio address. Our soldiers were drunk and could not fight. And thus started the Blitzkrieg that resulted in Millions of deaths around the world. Liquor is undeniably a fountain of death. It's a fountain of death. William Bennett, Secretary of Education under President Reagan, this was in the news today, said this, only one out of three American adults can name all three branches of government. (laughs) Could you imagine that? One out of three American adults can name three branches of government. We have increasingly replaced education with social conditioning in our public education system. Reading, writing, arithmetic, basic American history have been left far behind. When uh, Secretary Bennett was uh, chairman of the National Endowment for the Humanities, he did a survey of 400 very successful people. And he said that the people that were polled were both uh, politically left, right, center, a variety of people. And here's the thing that, this is a poll that he took. He asked the question, what are the most important books students should be familiar with by the time they finish high school? That was the question that he asked. The answers were all over the map. The books that high schoolers should be familiar with, with the exception of the top four or five. The top one and two, no matter where you land on the political spectrum, almost in complete unison. Number one, the Bible. Number two, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. That's where we were at one time in our nation. Not too many years ago. That was 1980s. You understand? That was, he was Secretary of Education under, uh, under Ronald, Ronald Reagan. That's when I was a boy. You go back to the 1950s, the big problems in school was chewing gum and talking out of turn and ditching class. Now then our problems are transgenderism, teachers getting beat up, cursed, mocked, schools getting shot up. We've come a long way, baby. The fear of God is a fountain of life that keep you away from the snares of death. 
And when we kick the Bible out and we don't fear God anymore, and it's every man for himself, and your truth is just as valid as someone else's truth, and we, and we demote the Bible as just, a, just a, a nice book with some moral teachings in it, and it's not the authority of what's right and what's wrong, and we don't let God decide. Everybody gets to do what's right in their own eyes. And this is what we have harvested, a fountain of death. Verse number 28. In the multitude of people is the king's honor. Now, this is one of those verses I had to ponder on a while and think on it. In the multitude of people is the king's honor. It's interesting, isn't it? But in the want, the word want there means lack. In the want or the lack of people is the destruction of the prince. Here's what I've come to. Here's what I believe. This is a leadership verse. This is a verse about leadership. Now think about what it says here. In the multitude of people is the king's honor. What is it that brings honor to the king? Is it his wealth? Is it his victory in battles? Is it his wardrobe? (laughs) Some of those kings in yesteryear. Mercy. Um, is Is it their hairstyles? Or their lavish parties? The Bible says... That it's the multitude of people. Let me give you a statement. Happy followers are the true glory of a leader. Think about that. Happy followers are the true glory of a leader. Now, probably everybody at some time in your life has had a a leader who was the weakest of all leaders, a positional leader. Maybe maybe you, you, you had a uh, you know, maybe you had a boss. He said, I'm the boss here, so go. <laughs> that was, yeah, he's the boss, and you're supposed to follow the boss, absolutely. But that's, that's, that's the weakest type of leadership. You follow me because I'm in charge. I got the title. My name's on the office door, so you do what I say. You know, yes, uh, we should be subject to the higher powers and so forth like that. But that's the weakest kind of leadership. Strong leadership is when you have a group of people who are happy to follow you. Happy followers are the true glory of a leader. Remember what uh, Queen of Sheba said to Solomon, First King, uh, Kings 10, when the Queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers, their apparel, cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She was <gasps> breathless. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believe not the words. I couldn't believe it until I came. And mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Then she said this, Thy wisdom and prosperity exceeded the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee. And that hear thy wisdom. Such is the honor of any leader. Great leaders are not made by titles. They're made by the multitude of people who are happy to call them leader. Amen. Hey dad, we've got to ask, ask ourselves a question. Do we have some happy kids at the house? If we don't, that's a leadership failure. Well, you know how their mama is. I do. I know. But I'm sorry. Uh, So, and maybe that's what's happened. Maybe dad, maybe you have abdicated your responsibility. But, 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 but the multitude of followers, happy followers, that's what makes a leader. And uh, uh, you, we all, all, no doubt, sat somewhere along the line under a leader. who wanted to blame the followers and so forth. A leader shares victories and takes responsibility for defeat. That's what a leader does. And a, a, hap, a, a strong leader, a successful leader, is somebody who has happy followers. Uh, if you're a foreman, ask yourself, how's your followers? If you're a bus captain, if you're a boss man, if you're a coach, if you're a leader of any kind, the honor of the king is seen in the multitude of the people who say, that's my boss man. That's my daddy. That's my whatever. Amen? And if you don't have that, then you need to go look in the mirror and we need to get back to what God called us to be. Look at verse number 29. He that is slow to wrath 
is of great understanding. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. The guy that doesn't flaw off the handle, this guy understands some things. He's of great understanding. In contradistinction to that is the guy who's hasty in spirit and he exalteth thought. Here's a little statement. Anger tends to cloud judgment. Anger tends to cloud judgment. That's one reason. Listen, I've said this before in recent months. You'd be better off not disciplining your children at all than you would disciplining them in anger. Uh, if you got to count to 10, count to 10. If you got to count to 100, count to 100. you got to take a walk around the block 16 times, take a walk around the block 16 times. But listen, you've got to get your head clear and think if you, if you respond in anger and react in anger, you are getting ready to make a bad judgment call. At which point, according to the verse here, you're about to say or do something foolish or advocate for something foolish. He that is hasty of spirit, jumps to conclusion, it flies off the handle, is a, a person who exalts foolishness, exalted folly. Now notice what it doesn't say. The verse does not say he that gets angry. It says he that is slow to wrath. It does not say that we should never get angry. It says that we should be slow to get angry. In other words, we should not be hot-headed or impetuous. Uh, Remember Ephesians 4.26? Be ye angry. So the idea that being a good Christian means being a pacifist is not biblical. There ought ought to be some things that make us hot under the collar. Amen? Amen. But the Bible says here's the difference. Be slow to anger. When, When you get angry, make sure you're getting angry on purpose. Be ye angry and sin not. Now, let's look at that word exalted here in the verse. He that is hasty of spirit exalted folly. The word exalted, very interesting. It means this, to lift up like a banner. To lift up like a banner. Like waving a flag, so to speak. And exalteth folly, the verse says, the guy that is hasty in spirit, quick to lose his temper, is the guy that lifts up a banner. He's got a, he's got a flag. The guy that jumps to conclusions and loses his temper. Isn't it? Listen, we, we are a wound tight society. You cannot drive. You drive 45 minutes anywhere and you're going to see a half dozen angry people before you get there. Man, I've watched some folks just absolutely, just foolish stuff. A couple of times I thought, man, I'm getting watch some guy flip this car about three or four times. And, um, and then, and then, then one person gets a little edgy, then another person gets a little edgy, and, and here we are, you know, 55 miles an hour or more. <laughs> and going down the highway and, uh, you know, how many hundred pounds of steel or whatever else flying around. And uh, that's foolishness, isn't it? Getting mad on the road. Uh, so the Bible said that this guy is that's hasty in spirit or quick to lose his temper, uh, he's, he wears a sign. He, he, he exalts it. He, he lifts up a banner. He get him a T-shirt on the back. Just let everybody say, I am a fool. Amen? I'm a fool. I can't hold my, my, uh, uh, my emotions. Now, let me tell you where, what's the challenge for us today. And, and this has got to be a big part of why it is such in society. We are living in a 24-hour-a-day breaking news cycle all the time. Everything's breaking news. Breaking news! The chicken crossed the road. I mean, everything is dramatic. And it's not interview. It's not, news isn't news. News is, 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 is melodrama. It's melodrama. When that microphone, stand up. When that microphone goes in someone's face, here's what they, here, here's what they want to know. Your reaction, sir. Your reaction, sir. The decision makes your reaction, sir. What? That's what they, 
That's what sells. That's what the, that's the videos that get watched. That's what makes news, right? Not what happened. <laughs> how, how do you feel about that? And if you don't give them what they want, I'll rephrase the question. Did that upset you? What do you think? You know, what, thank you. What, what, what's their goal? To get a reaction. That's what, that's what advertising, that's what the, the, the media that's coming at us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, is, is, we are constantly being programmed to react to life. Eight times you find this phrase in, the, in your King James Bible. Slow to anger. That's a great phrase. Eight times. Slow to anger. Six of the eight times is referring to God himself. One of the characteristics of our God is that he is slow to anger. Now, he gets angry. In fact, Psalm 711 says God's angry every day. God is angry every day. But he is slow to anger. Uh, he's slow to get there. Uh, the, the Bible says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. If you want great understanding, then you must, like God, temper your reactions. You must learn, like God, to control your emotions. How much harm has been done in the name of swift justice? I, I didn't bring them, but I, in, in preparation... Uh, I read the story of, I don't know, four or five different different men who uh, were put in jail, some for murder and other terrible crimes, violent crimes. And one in particular man I read about, um, his buddy was, was told, when they, they were just teenagers when it happened, and someone was killed and, and a teenage boy went to prison. And, uh, and, uh, but anyway, he was told, hey, he's going to, you know, if, 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 if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't do this or do that or, uh, corroborate this story or whatever, then you're going to be in prison and you might get the death penalty. And there's a lot of pressure or whatever. But the fact is, with the development of forensics, forensics was able to prove their innocence. But, but you, could you imagine, uh, 20, 25, 28, 30 years, some of them, at least one man was 28 years in prison, and then forensic evidence proved that he was not at the scene of the crime, that he was not guilty. Much harm has been done in the name of swift justice. Now, that is probably the exception because uh, we are living in a society that drags things out, and the Bible says because judgment is not executed speedily, and evil work is not executed speedily, therefore... The heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. That's Ecclesiastes 8.11. Ezra 7.26 says, Let judgment be executed speedily. So the Bible advocates for a speedy trial. and uh, But a uh, speedy trial does not mean an emotional reaction. Do you understand that? That's what the news media supercharged our society when a tragedy happens without even seemingly glancing at the facts, without waiting five minutes to find out what actually happened, especially if it promotes something that uh, helps their agenda move along. And you will have people in leadership inflaming Americans and people burning things down and turning and rioting and so forth. Why? Reaction, 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 reaction. And how much worse has happened because folks were not slow to wrath. Wisdom is not without outrage. God is angry every day. Wisdom is not without outrage. It can be infuriated. But wisdom wants the whole picture before passing sentence and executing judgment. Let me say this. Let me say this. You need to get your opinions from someone other than your favorite commentator. Okay? The one I like is really conservative. Bless your heart. That's wonderful. But you need to think on your own. Amen? And many times, we as God's people get caught up in something and to form our opinions too quickly in my, in my view. The sad truth is this. The size of... Oh, this is a great statement. I, I, I typed this out. I want you to listen to it. Here's the sad truth. The size of our response should be commensurate with the size of the offense. 
But sadly, it is too often commensurate with the size of our irritation. Did you understand what I just said? Let me say it again. The size of our response should be commensurate with the size of the offense. In other words, our, our response should fit the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, magnitude of the offense. Right? So you, you swat a mosquito. Amen? You don't kill it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> you understand that? That's what I mean. So our response should fit the offense. But here's a sad thing. And this goes back to this. This is the principle. Slow to wrath. Slow down. Don't react to life. Don't get up in arms over a, 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 and get a sledgehammer go after a mosquito. Slow to wrath. The size of our response should be commensurate with the size of the offense. Sadly, however, it is too often commensurate with the size of our irritation. Here's what I mean. Instead of our response fitting the offense, our response is determined by our own level of irritation. Which is a revelation of our personal selfishness and lack of self-discipline. The parent that punishes or rebukes only when the misbehavior makes them uncomfortable is a parent training their child to misbehave. Let me say it again. The parent who corrects or trains only when the behavior becomes uncomfortable for the parent is a parent who is training that child to misbehave. I hope you got what I said. In other words, if the only time you're going to correct or discipline is when it interrupts you, that what you've basically done, by example, is you have said, kid, misbehave, 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 keep an eye on mama, and when she's about to explode, that might be a good time to exit. But everything up to that point is perfectly fine. Because you're not in trouble until you interrupt her and she has to get off her phone. Only then are you really in trouble. Everybody okay? Yeah. Love says, I just sat down, I just got comfortable. But because I love my child, I can't tolerate that. And so I'm going to be uncomfortable and I'm going to get up and I'm going to correct and deal with what needs to be dealt with. Amen? Does this make sense? But we, listen, we, here's what we do. We blow up, not because it's a big offense, we blow up because it inconvenienced us. And, and, and if, it, if it doesn't inconvenience us, we, ought, we need to be consistent. Amen? We figure out what we're going to train to, what's right, what's wrong, and we respond consistently. Intemperate parents discipline more than self-disciplined parents. People say to me over the years, if I did that, Pastor, if I did what you taught us, I'd be spanking my kid all the time. If you did what the Bible says, the Bible says it'll, if you do what the Bible says, the Bible says it'll bring you rest. It'll bring you rest. You won't, you won't discipline more, you'll discipline less. Amen. If you will start and say, by God's grace, I'm going to believe the Bible... And I'm, I'm going to ignore the world's philosophy. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm not going to react to inconveniences and people upsetting me or making me uncomfortable or embarrassing me. No, I want, to, I, want, I want to teach and train good behavior. And if that inconveniences me, I've got to stop what I'm doing to do that. That becomes the most important. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it consistently. And that, re- that requires self-discipline. The disciplined parent will... Self-disciplined parent will have to discipline less his own children. There are a lot of signs of, of a lack of self-discipline, and I'm trying to be unkind, but one of those is uh, unkempt children. I'm not talking about a, a lived-in home. I'm just talking about a filthy home. There's a difference between a home that's lived in 
and a home that's just filthy. A filthy home is being governed by undisciplined adults. And those undisciplined adults, I can promise you this, by and large, are reactive to life. And deal with things, not in a discipline. And if you're disciplined, you're going you're gonna, to... I'm not saying, you know, you've got to look like a magazine. A house is going to look lived in. A house is not a sh- your showcase. It's going to look lived in. But I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about filth. I don't know about filth. Too lazy to wash your own dishes. Too lazy to do laundry. Too lazy just to t- keep house. Now, here's what's happening. That undisciplined person that cannot say to themselves, hey, this is something you need to take care of. That, kind of, that person seeks ease until their ease gets disturbed, then they blow up. Listen. <laughs> the people that are marching around our cities, burning stuff down, number one, they're not at work. Up all night burning stuff. They don't have to be anywhere at 5.30 in the morning. I, can, I, I, I wager you this. You go to their home, I can pretty much tell you what it looks like inside. If you, first of all, if you don't have enough discipline, take a bath. Wash your hair. Well, I'm, 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 over, I'm in Mother Earth. You don't wash my hair. For crying out loud. Seriously? I don't even like to get close to a head like that. Maybe something going to jump off on me. But if you're not personally disciplined, God, listen, we're God's people, amen? We're God's people. And uh, anyway, a generation is suffering because of intemperate adults. Verse 30, verse 30, here we go. A sound heart. Now, uh, a sound heart. I think he's talking about here... uh, uh, probably there is a physical application to this, but I believe he's talking about heart in the sense of your, the seat of your emotions. So we might say emotional health, a sound heart, an emotionally healthy person. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. That's definitely physical. You understand that? So yes, it's true that a healthy heart makes for a healthy life. That is true. But I believe what he's saying here is talking about emotional health and how it affects physical health. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. Your disposition has much to do with your physical health. Then the last part of the verse says, but envy the rottenness of the bones, or envy is the rottenness of the bones. Let me, let me say it this way. Insecurity is often the source of much envy. Let me write that down after taking notes and I'll explain it for you. Insecurity is often the source of much envy. We don't understand who we are in Christ and comfortable with who we are in Christ. Praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the King. Amen? Amen. My name's in the book of life. Amen? Positionally, I'm in Christ and Christ is in God. Amen? And nobody can pluck me out of His hand. And I, I, I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the, uh, 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 the, the royal priesthood. Amen. I mean, I'm somebody in the family of God. Amen. Now, if I understand those things, that will help me to be well-adjusted emotionally. <laughs> but people that are not, people that are, 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 are insecure in who they are in Christ, uh, that insecurity becomes a source of much envy. Let me tell you the difference between envy and covetousness. Envy is directed at people. Covetousness is directed at things. That's the difference. Envy is directed at individuals. And covetousness is directed at things. Now, the root of both is is ingratitude. We become ungrateful and thus dissatisfied with our own lot in life and then annoyed and angry with others who have stuff we don't have. So ingratitude leads to covetousness. I don't have that. Which leads to envy. We, we, so we, we look at what we don't have 
and and what others have, we're ungrateful for what we have. Instead of being grateful for what we have, become dissatisfied with what we have, ungrateful, dissatisfied. Then we cast an eye at what others have, and we covet that. And then that turns to envy. We look at that person and have ill will toward them because of the opportunities they have that I don't have, the privileges they have that I don't have, the influence perhaps they have that I don't have. Acts 7, 9 said that it was envy that the patriarchs, uh, Joseph's brothers, sold him into slavery. They were moved with envy. Envy motivated Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery over a coat, (laughs) over being dad's favorite, over some perceived privilege they envied Joseph. I remember, Brother Rod, you might remember too, back in the day in Chicago, the bus route days, Kids getting shot when the starter jackets came out, when the starter jackets first came out. I think it must have been in the early 90s. Kids, teenagers were getting shot on the street for their starter jackets. You can buy them at Walmart now. But they were high dollar over a jacket. Can you imagine being that evil to destroy life to get somebody's tennis shoes or somebody's jacket? David struggled with envy according to Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. David struggled with envy. Young people, listen to me very carefully. One of the things the devil would love for you to do is cast an eye toward the world, look at your life, your protected life, your sheltered life, which the world mocks, and think somehow you're missing out on something. Somehow others have opportunities you don't have. There's certain things you can't do. And you become dissatisfied instead of grateful. Instead of grateful for being sheltered by His grace. Instead of grateful you get to grow up in church. Grateful your mom and dad hold, you to, hold, hold the line with you. Instead of being grateful, become dissatisfied with that. Then you become uh, uh, covetous. Others, they get to do that or they have that. And then it turns to envy. David found himself speaking on the matter. Fret not thyself because of evil doers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Look at, listen, the context here. David in his lot in life, instead of being humble and grateful, David went through the fire. David was the object of Saul's envy. The Bible said in 1 Samuel 18, 9, Saul eyed David from that day. That was the day he heard the song. Saul has slain his thousands. David has ten thousands. Remember that? And Saul eyed that young man, David, from that day forward. Now watch this. This is crazy. So here's Saul. He's, he's envious of David. <laughs> and according to Psalm 37.1, David struggled with envy because of evildoers. So here's David, and he's like, whoa, Saul, man, does all this stuff, and nothing bad seems to be happening to him. Here's David being tempted to envy Saul, <laughs> and Saul's over here envying David. It might have been a better thing to say, God, you know what I need. You're good to me all the time, amen? And David did a pretty good job at that. <laughs> Asaph. The musician struggled with envy. He said, truly, turn to Psalm 73. I, I need to finish up. I know that. We'll stop at this verse. Stay with me just a few more moments. Psalm 73. I know it's warm here too. Psalm 73. Look at verse number 1. Truly, God is good to Israel. I, I circle that. In a couple of Bibles now, and this Bible, I have it circled there, and I got a little line next to it in the column that says, Me. I like to personalize that thought. Truly, God is good to me. That'd be a good thought for all of us, wouldn't it? And we could say, Truly, God is good to me. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Are you, are you with me there? Verse number two, look at it. But as for me, this is Asaph, this is chief musician, Asaph. But as for me, now look at it, look at it. Let's set this up a little bit more. Chief musician, Asaph, songwriter, choir leader, musician, phenomenal musician. Many of the songs written by Asaph. He is in the thick of God's work. You with me? He's in the middle of God's work. Verse 2. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well 
nigh slipped. I almost lost my footing. Why? When did that happen? For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph says this, Here I was, a child of God, a sincere servant of God, living in the most blessed nation on earth, and somehow I almost forfeited all of it. Why? I got my eyes on the world's stuff. Stuff the fools had that I didn't have. I became discontent. I became envious until I found myself wanting to trade places with the fool. The Bible said where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Let me show you one more thing in this verse right here. Look at your verse again, verse number 30. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Envy the rottenness of the bones. In the U.S. today, 28 million people are at a major health risk for osteoporosis. 10 million actually have the disease. 18 million have low bone mass, which places them at a serious risk for osteoporosis. The word osteoporosis is three words. Osteon, which means bone. Porous, which means passage. And osis, which means condition. It's basically the bones have holes in them and they become fragile and they become weak. In Psalm 31.10, the psalmist says, My life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. That word consumed there literally means to shrink. He's describing osteoporosis. Our text here says that envy is the rottenness of the bones. The word rottenness there literally means decay. That's another precise description of osteoporosis. Now, here's an amazing thing. When osteoporosis patients are given their diagnosis, they assume that if they take calcium supplements, pharmaceutical drugs, the condition will be remedied. However... If an individual suffers from the stress of envy, envy raises your cortisol levels. When a person becomes, on a physiological level, when you, your heart is not sound, it's not healthy, and instead of grateful, humble, rejoicing, that's a sound heart, when your heart becomes discontent, ungrateful, discontent, covetousness, and finally envious, where you have ill feelings toward others who have opportunities you don't have, privileges you don't have, luxuries you don't have, friends you don't have, and you get to the place where you actually, you actually have ill feelings toward people because of your ingratitude, discontentment, covetousness, which has now become envy. The Bible says your bones start to rot. On a physiological level, it happens because envy, like anger, anger is um, cortisol is like a fight or flight hormone, which when you which is healthy in small doses when you need it. Somebody's attacking you with a knife, you need to run faster than you normally run, or you come on an accident scene and somebody's trapped under a car, and you adrenaline uh, and cortisol in the same family, uh, uh, fight or flight hormones. And you, you've seen the stories of people that reach down and pick up a car, right? A, a car, you know, one person, so somebody can escape. That for those few minutes, your 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 vessels open up, and the heart pumps. And, and blood rushes to those areas of core strength, and you're able to do things that seem superhuman, that is a physiological response to adrenaline and cortisol shooting through your body in a time of danger or extreme need. God made us that way, and you need it when you're in battle. You need it when you're in a car wreck. You need it when a plane breaks in two, and you fall to the ground, and you're able to drag bodies and lay them. You understand that? Okay. But envy produces a steady, unhealthy level of cortisol into your system. Now watch me. Drugs 
and supplements. Mask the deterioration of the bones. But they do not fix the problem. Until if as long as you remain with that unsound heart, that envy, just like anger, the number one killer in America, heart disease. We are a frustrated, angry society. You drive 45 minutes down the road, you'll see example after example of it. And we're di- that's the number one killer of Americans. And we ought to be, the, we're, the, we're the wealthiest people in the world. We ought to be the happiest people in the world. But we're all, we're frustrated, we're angry. We would knock somebody's block off over a stuffed toy at Christmas time. <laughs> now, so that cortisol level of cortisol raise literally begins to deteriorate your bones. Calcium supplementation and pharmaceutical drugs will always fight a losing battle to high cortisol. You know why that's important? Listen, what does the Bible say? The life of the flesh is where? In the blood. Where's the blood manufactured? Inside the bones. Bone marrow is absolutely crucial to your overall health. And the Bible clearly says envy will deteriorate your bones. That interrupts your ability to produce healthy blood cells. And it's a precursor to all kinds of disease. Let me tell you something. You, you, listen, you can angry yourself to death. You can envy yourself to death in a very literal way. God knows what he's talking about. Amen. Envy is the rottenness of the bones. I want healthy bones. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? <laughs>